The Hot 4 podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarham.com, brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farham's family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarham.com today. That's charlesfarham.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward Podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello, beer friends, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Forward Podcast. This week on the show, I'm joined by Andy from Ampersand Brew Co., based in South Norfolk. Ampersand are a small brewery who create a range of core and seasonal beers that best showcase their skills as a modern progressive brewery. Started by a family team of Amy, Andy and Adrian Hipwell in a converted barn on the family farm, the team have now expanded and moved to their current site in Dis. Their bespoke brew house, designed and fabricated to their own unique setup and specification, was specifically designed to optimise the kind of beers they like to brew and to put people at the heart of the brew house to ensure everyone gets home on time. The brewery was set up to produce high quality small batch beer, following their simple philosophy of producing the kinds of beers they want to drink to the best possible standards. On their website, Ampersand State, By doing this, we hope the beer speaks for itself and that you will enjoy it as much as we do. Andy was kind enough to send me some of their beers and I can personally attest to the quality of them. Everything from the most straightforward Golden Promise Bitter through to their complex mixed firm Amber Lager truly hit the spot as you'll hear today as I taste them with no flavour, aroma or mouthfeel out of place. In addition to brewing a variety of clean beer styles, Ampersand has its own barrel farm purely dedicated to mixed fermentation and wood-aged beers. In this episode, we share a few beers and discuss everything from cask ale, commissioning the new brew house and the barrel-aged beers, through to how COVID was the catalyst for committing their beers into cans more frequently, which in turn allowed the brewery to reach a national audience. So stay tuned for all that to come. Firstly, before we hear from this week's sponsor, I want to ask, will you do something for me, please? 
Did you know that 74% of people who listen to podcasts don't actually hit the subscribe button or leave a review of the shows they listen to? Now, I know what you're thinking. Nick, anyone can make up statistics. 33% of people know that. If you listen to the show regularly, but don't subscribe, please will you hit the subscribe button. Please will you share the show with your brewing colleagues and on any Facebook groups you might be a part of in the world of craft beer who would benefit from hearing this podcast. The more listeners we attract, the bigger guests we'll get on the show to help you hop forward in the brewing and beer business. So head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you tune into. Click on the subscribe button and write us a little glowing review. Cheers a million times over. Now, a word from our sponsor. The Hot Four podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarham.com, brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farham's family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarham.com today. That's charlesfarham.com. This week on the show, I'm joined by Andy from Amsterdam Bruco. Hello. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's all right. Thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Good, good. Without further ado, I'm going to crack open a beer because it's been a week since I've had any beer. So I'm very much looking forward to this. I just want to say a massive thank you for sending me some beers through. I'm going to crack open First Promise, which is your golden bitter. I've got a real hankering at the moment for more traditional beers. So while I crack this open, can you tell us a bit about yourself, about Ampersand Brew Co, and how you got into the industry and what the brewery's like and what other kind of beers you make? Yeah, so um, I'm one of the co-founders of Ampersand. It was started by my wife and myself and my my parents back in um, 2017 when we uh, initially brewed beer. Mm. The project started back in 2016. Like many brewers, I started off as a home brewer and I did that for for quite a few years prior to starting the brewery. And we were we were very lucky. We had some empty buildings on the, the family farm that I grew up on that weren't being used. Uh, the rest of the farm had been diversified into a vineyard. Mm. Oh, wow. They, they were, which my parents had also helped start. And the, Ben, who was running the vineyard, they were looking for someone to take over some buildings. And we'd previously looked at, at setting a brewery up and back a few years before decided you know, the sort of beers we wanted to make, we didn't think there was a market in, in Norfolk or East Anglia for them. But roll on to 2016 and, and yeah, we, we, we gave it a crack starting, say, in 2017 and ran it as a part-time business for the first year. So that was evenings and weekends. 
a lot of help from friends and family. And then it's, it's sort of grown steadily and organically from then. In 2021, we moved off the farm to a, a unit 10 times the size in a town called Dis, which is still in the, the sort of same Waveney Valley, mm. um, South Norfolk area, but obviously a much bigger site and has allowed us to continue our growth. Amazing. Is the vineyard still going? Yeah, no, the vineyard's going. The vineyard's still going. It's growing. They're called Flint Vineyard. They win, win quite a lot of awards. Yeah. Um, and they've, ju- they've just put another four acres of vines in, I think, yeah. this spring. Amazing. You know, I've yeah. never had any British wine before. I don't think I have. Yeah, it's, the, the quality is, 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 is very good. Yeah. And these The guys at Flint know what they're doing. Ben, he's a, the winemaker. Um, he came to it a bit later in life, a bit like we did with the brewery, but he's very highly qualified. And as part of his setting up the vineyard, they got grants to under- undertake lots of testing on grape varieties, et cetera. So, so yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Amazing. It was good fun when we set up as well, sharing a site with a, a young, another young business. They're a couple of years or a year and a bit ahead of us. Mm. Um, and actually having them on site, Ben lives in the, in the farm housework I grew up now it allowed us to be part-time because he very nicely took in all our deliveries for us if we had stuff getting sent out by pallet he'd you know load onto the lorry for us yeah and that really enabled us to 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 start the brewery as a part-time concern which is is at at the time was what we wanted to do yeah we didn't want we, we, we wanted to self-fund it and we wanted you know, we wanted to put all the money back into into the brew and not have to take anything out. Mm. So tell me about the golden bitter that I'm drinking first, promise. I mean, it is really nice. As I said earlier, I've just got a real thirst for traditional beers at the moment. So I was pleasantly surprised when obviously there was quite a lot of different beer styles in that box. But I've, I've surprised myself actually going for this rather than the barrel-aged imperial stout. Um, so so t- t- tell me about this one. Yeah, so we cover we do cover a wide range of of styles that possibly comes from starting as a home brewer um but also i think that keeps it interesting a little bit um the golden bitter is particularly developed um which i think we first brewed it a year or two years ago probably last year but we it was it was looking at using golden promise mm-hmm. combined with um golden tops right uh, into a golden bitter, so all the golds <laughs> lined up. Nice, uh, but yeah, just we we do a um, our house bitter, which we, we initially brewed for for a pub that we we have in Halston called the Cap. So it's Cap bitter, and that's obviously a bit more of a darker traditional bitter. Mm. You know, it's got earnest hops, and so it's slightly more modern take than an out and out traditional bitter. But it is down that um, darker color, traditional bitter color. So we really wanted. Uh, something that was a little hoppier, a little stronger, and more um, appropriate to the warmer weather. Mm. As a beer. So we brewed it cask only last year, and we, it was only intended to be a single brew, but it was super popular. So I think we brewed it two or three times last year. And then this is the third batch of this year, but we've popped it into cans, and we've also got it certified uh, gluten-free, so they got it tested. Oh, amazing. Even better. You know, it, it reminds me of... A beer, and I can't remember the name of the beer at all, from when I was growing up and I first started tasting beers. And, like, I don't know, there's just there's just a really nice nostalgic flavour in there that's really, really pleasant. And my, I mean, my dad wasn't a 
in particular wasn't a much of a beer drinker at all. But on the occasions that he did like drink a beer and he'd let me try it, it reminds me of of something from home. But I, I really can't remember what it is. I mean, it is it is smashing, and I could easily imagine, in particular, drinking that on cask in a pub or in a tap room, just wanting to session on that for well all evening. To be honest with you. Well done. <laughs> it's no, really, a really much. nice, a really nice beer. No, we're, 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 it's it's a firm favourite with staff, and um, yeah, we're, we're pretty pretty pleased with it. And it, it's a progression on the, over the last couple of years where we've looked at using more UK hops, mm-hmm. English hops. Yeah. So the Goldings um, that we've used over the last couple of years have come from uh, Brookhouse hops. So yep. unfortunately, we no longer will be using them next year. But we've started getting some hops and, and have negotiated for next year hops from Hukins Hops in Kent, so another small um, hop grower. And we obviously buy a reasonable bit from Farums as well. Yep. And um, we're just actively looking where we can to, yeah, to, to use locally or, or homegrown ingredients where possible. Mm. And that's partly from uh, um, looking at the environment and our CO2 output. And, and thinking towards the future in that regard, that, that's one reason. The second reason is that they are good hops. They're great hops, in fact. And mm. why shouldn't we use them? So that, that obviously plays into it into it as well. So, yeah, it's definitely something we're looking to do more. And it's not just in, in sort of golden bitters or, or UK styles or, or even IPAs or paired ales. We're, we're also starting to do it more of our lagers. Yes. Well, I know like um, Utopian Brewing in Devon um, use pretty much all English hops, I think it is, in their lagers, Well, uh, which is pretty much what they make, um, or the vast majority of what they make. And so many people speak really well of them as a brewery. They're fantastic beers. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge champion of British hops. I think, you know, I always have been. Um, when I was at Sheffield Brewery Company, we got through so much fuggles and so much East Kent Goldings and you know for a lot of people you throw out the F word and um, you get a lot of pushback but when fuggles are fresh and you open a bag of them I just think they're great you can make some amazing beers using fuggles in my opinion yeah no definitely I mean we've as a um, commercial brewery we've we've not brewed yet with fuggles however we have just received some from Hugins and we are on the schedule in two weeks, I think we're brewing a best bitter. Yep. That'd be ready just for the start of September. Awesome. So looking forward to doing that. Is it going to be a classic Fuggles and Goldings best bitter? Come on. <laughs> so we're looking forward to doing that. That will just be a cask only beer, but we'll shift it. We'll shift a lot through the pub and the tap room and, and particularly into Norwich, which is very cask focused. Yep. So that won't, that won't hang around. We'll come on to some of that stuff about localization versus national a bit later, but I'd love to know a bit about the brew house, some of the other beers styles you make, and I guess the journey from 2016 onwards, what, how that's looked, obviously we've had a a pandemic in the middle of that and all kinds of other crazy things happen, but just talk through like where you're at the moment, what kind of setup you've got and just how you've got to that point. Yeah. So we, when we started, we started with a 10 hectolitre, very basic, traditional brew house that was built by a company called Oban Ales, and I'm not entirely sure they're still going. Um, and it was it was sort of um, looking at the most we could afford 
but without going down the absolute budget route. Mm. Um, and we did spec quite a lot up. And, and they provided the hot liquor tank, cold liquor tank, mash tun, kettle, grist case, heat exchanger, pumps, etc. Then we put a bit more money into two decent DPVs and a bright tank. And so we just started with two tanks. So we we're brewing two or three times a month. Yep. We, we just brewed keg and then we hand filled bottles as well. So we've done small pack since day one. Um, we thought it was an absolute pain in the ass to do. But as a small brewery starting out, we thought it was really important to get our beer into small packs. We could get it out to people. So we, we started off doing that in um, under gravity, bottle conditioned, and then moved on to later on bottling with a, a, a very small counter pressure filler. But the gravity filler is a pretty good one from designed for wine. Right. And, and other things, you probably see them around. I know Cloudwater, I think, use a similar one or have used a similar one for their barrel age bits and, and we so we started you know we invested in good kit at the beginning where we could and we still use that for our mix firm so today we were using the same bottling machine putting 750s on it i don't think you've lived as a brewer until you've done hand bottling we we did early on i say early on probably into our first year as we began a year we'd done a little bit for um one of the uh, on a subscription company i'm trying to think who they're called they got brought out in the end and they're quite a small one I should remember, but I've forgotten what they're called. But they put us in a, in a, in a feature, a, a sort of an extra box called a new brewery feature box. And we did, I don't know, four or 500 bottles of beer. And it went so well, they then rang us up and asked for 3,300 <laughs> bottles, which is, a, which is a full thousand litres, so one full batch of the beer at the time. So we brewed it and then we hand bottled that over a day. Uh, my parent, there was myself and, and Amy. Amy used to run the bottling line and then there was me and my, my parents and we i think ben i think i might have helped or someone else popped in to give us a break and we just swapped jobs and we did we did three thousand three hundred bottles in a day that's mad and then had to go back and label so hand bottling as well with um i think yeah these would have been i don't think these were counter pressure filled. i think these would have then conditioned for a week and then they would have got gone through a labor um so that was probably another day labeling it afterwards i bet that was like one of those hand winders wasn't it <laughs> Uh, we started off with a hand wind. We have got a, we have got we upgraded to a little electric number, which had a um, a little in feed and a little out feed. It's still not super quick, but it's a lot easier on the hands. Yep. We, we used to do probably at our peak of of bottling, we'd be bottling a thousand bottles a week by hand, probably yep. a couple of batches. So, or, or yeah, probably something like that. So we did end up with getting pretty pretty quick at it. Yeah, starting with small pack and, and kegs. We didn't start with cask, which I think surprises quite quite a lot of people. But when when we started the brewery, we, you know, the initial aim was slightly more modern styles of beer. So, you know, we start, started with a, I think the first big beers we brewed was a, a Saison and a coffee brown ale. Nice. Straight into like a pale ale. And we wanted to do something a bit different, stay out of the, the existing Norfolk breweries, markets of bitters and and cast bales so we didn't really cask anything for a year it wasn't until um the pub that we launched in the, the plasters arms in norwich had been a big supporters of us and, and craig who was a manager at the time now actually works for us and and runs our sales but he gave me some pins that they the pub owned a couple of pins and persuaded me to fill some pins mm. for of just any beer to for them to have over the summer we did a few so and then other pubs heard about it and the phone didn't stop ringing. So we ended up 
um, buying ourselves some casts and starting producing casts. Nice. And, so, and do you own the pub now? Is that we your have pub? A, we have a pub. Yeah, we in right. twenty nineteen a pub came up for sale in, in Halston, which is a little town, sort of our local town, and it's halfway between where the brewery is now and where the original brewery was. Mm. Um, and it was an, an Adnams pub. Right. And we, we knew they were going to sell it, but they sold it earlier than we thought. And it, it wasn't a pub that I would have gone into. They didn't sell a lot of Adnams beer. They had, I don't know, nine keg lines, and I think seven of them were macro lager. <laughs> In it, they used to sell Adnams. They used to have pins of Adnams beer in the cellar. They didn't even have a full stillage. They just wow. had an auto two on the floor, and it was pretty grotty. And I think they just decided to sell it for various reasons that I won't go into. <laughs> but we, we got the keys January 2020, and due to Impe- opening impeccable timing. <laughs> yeah, so we had employed a manager at the start of March. So just after the cutoff of furlough. <laughs> so. He started, um, and the pub was about a week away from being ready to open when lockdown hit. So we, you know, we had a couple of days of an electrician left to go. We had the painters and decorators had a couple of days. Bathroom installers had one day or half a day, and we had uh, we were self installed. We're self installing the cellar and the barn. We were just waiting on the keg fonts to arrive to get finally installed, and then lockdown hit, and we were left with a, a sort of a shell of a pub that was almost finished and. Didn't really know what to do with it, but we 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 had a member of staff that we'd employed, and we weren't going to, you know, we're not the sort of people or the company that would, you know, not unemploy them or 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 give up on them. So we couldn't fail them because we leave, you know, we, we were outside of the time limit. So what we did was we, as quick as we were able to, is we opened it up as a a takeaway, sort of a, a draft beer takeaway. Mm thinking at least we can get rid of some of the beer we'd already sort of brewed and prepared to sell in the pub, but also integrate ourselves into the community a bit and it just took off it was super popular we opened six days or five five or six days a week from about four in the afternoon till about eight at night and we were just constantly pouring beers into milk cartons and just had queues of people coming to pick up the beer and it that was amazing saved us a little bit yeah i feel sorry for him i i took my business full-time from the week before lockdown so I was in the same boat where I couldn't get any, anything basically. I was, you know, um, and it's, it's scary times. It's, it's funny to look back on it now um, that we're a few years out of all that. Just to, just to think what collectively we went, went through and, and the, the way that businesses, breweries and pubs alike had to be really, really flexible. Um, but obviously you look at the effects of it now and with breweries and pubs closing left, right and centre. It's um, it's really sad, but it's amazing yeah. at the same time that we were resilient and kind of came through it. Yeah, it's just you just had to adapt. I think I, I look back at it now and it doesn't seem that bad. But I know the first week when we everybody got sort of sent home and we didn't didn't really know what was going on. We um, had uh, there was only myself and Amy and one other employer, so Adam, who was our original brewer, joined us in the end of the summer twenty nineteen. So mm. Been with us six months, and he when he came into brew, we didn't really know what to do. So he came in and we sort of closed everything down, got everything to a position where, so everywhere was clean. So we didn't know how long we we're going to be away. Was it one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Were we allowed to, going to be allowed to go back to the brewery? So it was a, you know, we did a, a full deep clean everywhere to try and protect stuff. We had beer in tank. We're very lucky that some beer we had in tank was due to be dry hopped and we didn't dry hop it. Yep. Um, 
so we didn't lose. I think we didn't lose. I think we lost, lost any beer. We actually had quite a couple of lagers in tank, so they were fine. Yep. But we went things set. Um, ben at the vineyard was being like living on the site. Obviously, was able to keep an eye on the chit, make sure the chitter was running. Mm. Used to go and check a couple of times a day for us, and and we just put everything to bed for a week, and didn't really know what to do. And it wasn't until the the council then basically said, "Your food production, you need to go back to work." that we had to sort of come up with with some way of producing income. Yeah, totally. So bring us up to speed with where you're at now. Am I right in saying that you've upgraded your brew house fairly recently, which you both designed and installed? Yes, we have. So that's that was when we moved off the farm in 2021. That was, we sort of call that the, the first part of our, our sort of growth. And we, we moved to a new site and we... We spent all the money we'd managed to save and, and further investment that we'd, we'd got from ourselves and, and family in, into putting things in like a, a proper brewery floor, which we'd never had at the farm and, and other things. So we, what we ended up with was we just took the existing brew kit and we put this 10 hectolitre brew kit in a space that looked much too big for it. <laughs> um, we'd, we, had, we did pick a couple more tanks up. So by this point, we were pretty much half our tanks were double size that we're brewing into. And then we picked up a few higher tanks as well. So one which was triple size and basically just started saving again. So what we decided when we moved was we didn't want to have to go through that process of putting a floor down mid. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're busy, there's nothing worse. So I think which we, we looked at the long plan and said, where are we now? And we know we could put a bigger brew in and just make more beer straight away, buy more tanks, etc. But, we're then going to build ourselves problems. So what we decided was it was a much better investment to get all the ancillary equipment and um, utility. Well, I say utility, sorry, that's the wrong word, what I'm saying. Ancillary equipment and the um, the floors, the chiller, the chiller, we put, you know, chiller delivery, glycol delivery pipes all in place. We invested in the tap room. Um and into equipment such as we've, we've always used RO water. We're right. Norfolk, we're one of the hardest water um, waters in the country. And it baffles me that so many breweries don't do anything to that other than chuck acid in it. So since day one, we've always used reverse osmosis and we've, we're now in our third system. But this one we, we put in at the start and we were very lucky. We got some help from an, a, a grant from the county council and that allowed us. We up, so, so when we moved into the site, we we spent the money on, on a new system that we knew would cope with future capacity for the site yeah. rather than take that, and, and, but then kept the brew kit. So, so rambling a bit, probably don't make sense. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> but we, we so uh, the other thing we put in was a cask, a better cask washer and keg washer, we could wash our own kegs and casks as well. So we, we invested there, kept the existing brew kit with some additional FV space. And basically we just worked really hard for two years. So the brew team, we were working hard and we're brewing five, six times a week on on a 10 heck plant with with electric elements. So that they're scrubbing <laughs> the elements after each brew, double brews on a single day. So someone's in at six. Yep. And the, and the second person finishes at six. And and we never yeah, it was it we're very fortunate that we never had too many big problems with it. And we just seemed to carry on and the more beer we made, the more beer Craig sold and Amy sold and and um, yeah, it just, but it just got to the point where we knew we, we were going to put a new brew in. Yeah. And it, so uh, last summer, um, we started 
looking, speaking to some of the your sort of usual suspects for kit and looking at second-hand kit, looking at um, bringing stuff over ourselves. And we, we reasonably quickly decided that if we wanted to um, to self-finance it and do something that that we, we weren't going to dig ourselves a hole by by buying or, or installing, that the best way was to design it exactly what we wanted, not over-design it mm. um, and design it around the beers we make the most of and want to make and to give us flexibility to, to maybe do other, other things as well. It was just easier to design it ourselves. Um, so there's a there's a brewery near us called Free Blind Mice who we get on really well with and they're engineers, all engineers by trade. <laughs> nice. And they've just gone through this process a little bit before us where they designed and had a, a company in China build them a brew kit and then installed it. So, and, and the same company had built their original brew kit and I think in their previous jobs they'd worked with a similar or this company and the transportation company. So Dan at Free Blind Mice very kindly helped us um, liaise with with the Chinese and get our designs across and make sure check help us check them and make sure they're um correct and to, to the right standards etc and then using their contacts and from their previous job shipping it over to us and getting us you know getting it over in in, in one piece and for a good price and all insured and, and all the certification etc so that we were you know really really thankful for them for helping um and then yeah installed it all, all this summer ourselves Amazing. I think my wife's about to grab her beer. Is that, are you going to? Is that all right? That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to pour it for you? Just bear with me a sec. So, um, Claire's having uh, Bidden. Is that how you pronounce that? Or by, Bidon. By, yeah, Bidon. yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the cycle bottle. Yes. Uh, yes. Or, yeah, Bidon um, for, for president as we had a few Americans. Oh, yeah. Insist it was, even though it was spelt slightly differently. Insisted <laughs> we named it after after their president. Nice. I might try a bit if this yeah, that's yeah. okay. Lovely. I should read that one. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's a Citra and Eldorado hopped session ale. Oh, that's lovely. Did you hear that, Andy? I didn't know. I didn't decide so what was it. She says it's ter- <laughs> terrible. No, she says yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, no. She said it's lovely. It oh, is- bless you. It's so kind of you. That is really nice. I shall thoroughly enjoy that. Oh, thank you very much. That's one of our um, original beers. That we oh, yeah, it was really, 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 really good. It's, it's slightly getting a rebound to a, we're gradually getting there through the labels to a session pale ale because I'd originally called it a session ale to not put off because that was the most, probably the most traditional right. beer, low ABV beer we did in Norfolk. So we called it a session ale. Yep. And um, we're gradually changing over to session pale ale and all that. Nice. The clips and, and, and bits. But I've still got a few. It might be the last of the labels. Yeah, I know it was great. We tend to can in small, small batches because we're just so short on beer the whole time. It's yeah, top the cans up, top the cask up, top the keg up, and we never, never get ahead. So we've had, I don't know. So the cans sometimes take a bit of a back seat these days. Good problem to have, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, def- yeah, definitely. And we're very lucky we've got a canning line. So yeah, yeah, just, it was a bit of a story it's, itself. We were that was we got that while we were still at the farm, and it wasn't on the. I mean, the pub wasn't on the the plan. The plan was to move in twenty twenty, not the not the pub. Yeah, that just that just appeared um, early, and we didn't want to miss. We, we knew we wouldn't get another opportunity, but the canning line was after which about the time Adam joined us. The council had already, or well, the vineyard had brought a lot of equipment through a a grant, a rural grant, which 
um, helps rural businesses and there's various criteria for, but one of them is diversification of farms and mm. supporting um, innovation and different and leisure and tours, but there's all sorts of criteria, but they've done the vineyard and the council rang us up and was like, look, we've, we've got some EU money and we need to get rid of it. And we need to, and we don't want to just keep giving farmers it to buy tractors. <laughs> so we know the vineyard have had it. We know roughly what you're doing and, and do you, you know, how can, is there anything you could spend some money on? And it's a match. So you have to have capital to do it. Yeah. And we had a bit of capital. Um, so we came up with a list of things and they basically sat down with us and said, well, that, out of all of those, the one that's most likely to get approved is a canning line. And we undenied about it because we didn't think we, we were saving to move. And then they basically said to us without saying to us that you will get it if you do the application. We can't tell you that, but you will get it. <laughs> so we went ahead and got a micro can, canning line, which arrived in December 2019, which we sort of squeezed into one of the sheds and it didn't really fit because even the drawings they sent me initially, they then, because they constantly are tweaking their designs, they made it 30 centimetres longer mm. to get some extra blowers on or something. I can't remember exactly why, but then we had to move all the tanks around and <laughs> quite fit it in once again. Squeezed in and thought, we won't really use this until the summer when we potentially move or find somewhere to move. And then um, obviously lockdown hit and it ran nonstop. While I was going to say, I, I was about to say, I bet that saved your bacon, that canning line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I was doing, um, I wrote an email to the, the guy who had the, headed the grant up and just said to him, I said, you don't quite realise, because we have to write, um, there's this part of the grants is you have to give feedback and there's, it got to employ a certain amount of people and it's got to, there's, there's check boxes for it to tick. Mm. But I just wrote back and said, well, ignore employing, creating more employment. It saved three jobs. Yeah. By being there. And we, we also, and, and coming back to free by mice and, and getting on really well with them is they didn't, don't, or didn't at the time do any small pack. They do a small bit now and they were looking at getting cans done. And then when lockdown happened, um, contract canners and selling cans off just didn't have room for new customers. So we actually later into, sort of a month or so in, they used to bring beer over in an island term. We put it into a tank, carb it up for them and then let them use our canning line. Amazing. System, man, and, and did that a few times just because there was only so much beer we, we could make and can. So it was sitting there, needed someone to use, you know, might as well have been used by someone. Yeah, so totally. Help them out. Their pub was shut. They had no, no way of selling anything. So yeah, it was, a, it was definitely one of those decisions. At the time I was, I, it was sort of arrived and it was all fancy. We did the first lot of cans and was like, this is a bit of a white elephant is going to sit here under yeast for a bit. And then two months later, so sort of January time when it was fully up and running, we we're like, well, we've got, we just started to, we were on a bit of a big growth curve, but more down keg and cask and we're, and, and gearing up for the pub and, and projecting what extra keg and cask we're going to sell there, thinking this canning line is going to sit here gathering dust. And before we knew it, we were, yeah, we were, we were, thanking our lucky stars kissing yeah. it almost <laughs> <laughs> what what would you say were the main things you learned from that experience of installing the kit and getting the canning line in and i guess what advice would you give to anybody who's possibly looking to either build and install their own kit or, or even just source one i think um it's definitely a, a lot of people try to tell you you can't do it mm-hmm. um but you, but you can. There's we're, we're we're very lucky that we live in a world where there's so much information at your fingertips. There's there's so much stuff online. As long as you there's obviously some rubbish online as well. But generally and on technical bits, there is loads online. 
And there's always people you can talk to who've done it before themselves yep. or have been there when it's been done. So we very much, um, with the new kit, we lent on free blind mice quite heavily, but we also spoke to other breweries and, and other installers. We've, we've got a local welders near us who, who have done quite a bit of work for us and we get on really well with, and they've, they work for a lot of breweries and big breweries and big drinks producers. Um, and they were great help and they were advising us and, and telling us about bits of how they would do things uh or who or who else to speak to if we mm. if they didn't know so uh, that's the first thing is is you definitely can do it and as long as you're willing to put a bit of time into learning how to do it and it, and it definitely took us longer doing it ourselves putting the steam lines in um we did all did all of that myself and my dad or my dad did the majority of it um that was that was a bit of a learning curve i mean we're, we're fairly practical people we grew up on a farm you, you learn how to weld, you learn yep. how to do plumbing at a very early age. Um, but getting the steam in was, it was a bigger job than we thought. Right. Or took a bit longer, but partly because we were still brewing. So the whole, from day one, when putting put in or moving to the new site, we'd, we'd planned how we we're going to get a new brewery. And so we'd left space, the cannon line sat in it originally, and that, but that's, that's movable. So that became the site for the new brew kit. So we could install it while brewing. However, there is a certain limit to how much dust and cutting and, and bits you can do whilst you're working. So we did have to, to work around a, a pretty full on pre schedule. Yeah. Um, Out of interest, how long does it take your steam kettle to come to a boil? Uh, but before the end of finishing transfer. Oh. We've, got, <laughs> we've gone from a 10 hect- hectoliter kit to 20. Yeah. And our brew day is possibly slightly longer now. Right. Cleaning, but the how I describe it to people is that uh, Bit who's, who's my brewer at the moment, he's a and he's brewed. He was head brewer up at Blue Monkey in Nottingham, and then he went and worked as a Libra at Formbridge. But he's originally from where we are, so he's moved down to take over, and, and he's he's gradually taken over all the brewing, pretty much as all the brewing with us now. Um, and he's very experienced in working on bigger brewers, and he did warn me when we're going for the design design stage that it is the risk that you end up with, uh, even though you come to brew quickly, you can end up with slightly longer brew days just because of the length of transfers and, and going through cleaning, etc. But we're under eight hours for a brew day quite yep. comfortably. But the, the advantage is it's a, it's a fully manual kit avoiding, temp, you know, we've got temperature control mm. controllers on the steam jackets and, and but the rest is, you know, it's, there's 57 valves on it. We've added in quite a bit of pipe work, but it, um, so it's, it's fully manual, but when the rakes are graining out in the mash tun. When you're running sip cycles, you can be doing other things. So yeah, we get a lot more. So people get a lot more done on if he's if he's in doing the brewing on a day. So for say for example, today we we left into it. We went. I took um, our apprentice brewer, trainee brewer, Ben and our, and James does our dray and some of our cleaning. We went to the farm and left Pip and he, he brewed two thousand liters of lager and cleaned up. Did all the other cellaring jobs. Um, finished off. <laughs> prepping cast for tomorrow and did it all done. And as we drove back at five, he was leaving. Nice. And all done and dusted. So, and that, that was definitely when we designed it and I sat down with Pip, he hadn't long joined us, but we went for it. And we, one of the, the criteria was that there needs to be, it needs to be efficient in terms of what we get out of the grain and the hops, but it mm. also needs to be efficient in, in man hours and it needs to, not make a, a, a poor work-life balance, I suppose. It's yeah. just, I didn't want to have kit that over, you're always overrunning your brew days. There's always something stuck or going wrong. 
but you're pushing too hard. So people are always going home late. I think it's important that people have a have a social life or, or that the guys, you know, can stop brewing and have a beer in the tap room afterwards and not be there till eight. Yeah. Scrubbing elements. It, you know, I, I, it's more common than you probably think all that. I mean, I've, I've experienced my fair share of that myself, you know, outrageously long brew days, but I still talk to people now where they have similar issues because either inefficiencies or they're just overloaded with the expectation that's put upon them, particularly from those like small to medium sized enterprises where it is all hands on deck. And it's, it's really tough because you'd like to say, you know, it is important to have a work-life balance and to be able to like go home at a reasonable time and to not feel like everything hinges on you. Obviously, if you own the business, it's different because as a business owner, it kind of does hinge on you. The book stops with you. But for brewers out there who are employees, there are lots of brewers out there that really, you know, because they're so into it and really passionate, they really take it to heart and treat it like their own. But then they feel the the sting of working too much, but then they don't have any of the kind of rewards to share in that other than uh, they get to take home a few beers, but the novelty of that wears off shortly, you know, when you... Yeah, when you first just... stuck match of the, the week and, yeah, <laughs> broke, the pump's broken on the transfer and... Yep. And they, you know, things like that happen and we've had a few... We're not, to be, we're not a too many touch wood, teething problems with the kit, with... with and even with the old kit, it was a bit of a, a story. But um, yeah, you're always going to have days where something doesn't quite go right or takes a bit longer to do something. But yeah, me, Amy and myself, we're, we're definitely of the opinion that happy staff, you know, happy staff make good beer. Yeah. So I hope we can keep our staff happy. I have to recount a story from when I was at Sheffield Brewery where I think it was like my third ever commercial brew commercial on it like a, a, a 10 barrel kit because I, I started like as a commercial home brewery so to speak so I'm selling beers before that but it was my fir- third ever like big big brew <laughs> and um they had this mash tun which tipped so it was over three floors and on the mezzanine floor was the mash tun and it was and it was the envy of a lot of other brewers in Sheffield because like you didn't have to dig it out you just tipped it it all went down the chute um only when I started tipping it, and bearing in mind this beer I'd brewed was one of the higher ABV ones, I'm tipping it thinking, man, this is heavy. But I thought, <laughs> well, it's just because, like, you know, it's a high ABV. There's a lot of grain in there. But when I literally got to the tipping point, I realised that I'd not drained it properly, so there's still a load of wort in there. But it was too point. It was too late by that point, and it all just like flooded out over three floors. So that in and of itself took about two and a half hours to clean up all this grain that had gone everywhere on top of like, you know, trying to do transfer, et cetera, et cetera. The directors were all off of the cricket. And then, so I'd had this really long brew day where I was trying to phone one of the directors asking a bunch of questions. He couldn't hear me because he's watching the cricket. How's that? And all the rest of it in the background. And then the, because it was so hot in summer as well, like one of the chillers packed in and I had to try and move the other chiller across this red bricked floor in the cellar, which was a very beautiful looking floor, but was just like not fit for purpose. And it's there like this massive remote chiller going like across the floor, getting all wet and stuff. And then I came, because by this point, one of the other beers has gone up to like 26C and I'm like, I've got to chill this down <laughs> plugged it in and it just like short circuited all the electrics oh it was just the worst day and then i had to walk around to the pub 
which they own nearby and ask if they had a chiller I could borrow. And I literally got this maxi 220 cooler that I'm like lugging around, hoping that this tiny little thing is going to work. And I just got home so late and burst into tears. I was like, why did I take this job? This is so shit. <laughs> uh, I look back and laugh now, but at the time it was awful, you know, and, and I'm sure everyone's got their own stories like that. Yeah, I think, I think they do. And it, yeah, everybody's done something like that. I, I can remember getting, I put some mango, I made a mango wheat beer. Right. I put, as well as um, mango puree, I put some dried mango right. into the tank and obviously it expands and swells and transferred the beer off and they didn't have too many problems transferring it. But when I came to clean, I couldn't <laughs> clean the tank and it was only top access DPV. So the only way to get this stuff out was to put a bit of pressure in and I <laughs> put some pressure into the tank and then I was working on my own at the time and this was quite early days it's probably on a Saturday or something and someone came into the brewery and we sort of run a shop so I went off to do with this person forgetting I'd left the tap open because nothing was coming out and then the next thing I know I go pop the bush <laughs> and uh, all the yeast all the mango all the leftover mango puree shot across at great knots across this little building at the farm up the wall over all the brew kit i just cleaned covered uh, covered a fridge covered Empty bottles, everything. Beautiful. That was a, a Saturday afternoon. I think I've been working all week on my normal job, and then on a Saturday and a Sunday. So I spent Saturday evening cleaning up yeast and mango puree off off the beans in the ceiling. Lovely. I think after that story, I need another beer. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna the other one I've I've chosen for the purpose of the podcast. When, and when I saw this again, I was like, ooh, look at that! It's a a mixed firm amber lager. So I know you've got like a, what you call a barrel farm. So while I crack this open, can you tell me a little bit about your barrel farm and your mixed firm program? Yeah. So we, I've always been interested in, in mixed firm beers and, and enjoyed drinking them and a big fan of places like Little Earth Project who are, who are local to us and I think one of the, the top mixed firm breweries in the country. So, but it's not something we ever felt we could do when we were, brewing at the farm and we're in a tiny originally at the farm so we're in you know some small buildings just the risk with, with timber beams the risk of contamination was was too high yep so um we initially dabbled our toe in in mixed van beer collabing with a, a brewery called all day in north norfolk who are who are still going but not really doing the mixed van but at the time they had some really interesting exciting beers and they helped us um harvest and and gather yeast up from around the farm to create our, our own mixed firmed yeast culture yep which we then took to their brewery which was at the time full of mixed firm barrels and we took some wine barrels that we took off or brought off the vineyard and we did some various blends of our yeast and their yeast to make make some beers and that really started getting me interested in it so when we moved to the new brewery site we've kept on some of the buildings at the farm that the vineyard don't want. Now the, the caveat to it is that, is that we are going to lose those buildings at some point because the vineyard are going to take them over as they grow. But I think we've still got at least another couple of years, years there before we have to find somewhere else. Mm. But that, that opportunity of having this space that was um, going to be empty of brew kit um, prompted us to look at setting up a, a small barrel farm, you, trying to utilise or utilising our, our yeast that we'd harvested from the vines, from um, the apple trees. I used to climb when I was a kid around the, the brewery, around the, the meadows. Hmm. 
So that I, I thought that'd be something different and something that was a bit of a, a hobby brewery away from the day job of 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 the the new site. But the the beer you're drinking, which is a mixed band bock, that was the first beer we we did on site, and we brewed a bock um, the winter before we moved, and we took out of the fermenter one one barrel of it, and then when as we moved, we pitched uh, our culture into it, which would have been the start of twenty twenty one, right? And we actually put culture in just before before we moved. We're a bit brave because we had the <laughs> we had already packaged a beer, and we needed the tank space back. So, so that went in the barrel and, and had the culture pitch. So it was it was fermented as a traditionally as a bock first, and then we took the two hundred liters. So we, we packaged eight hundred liters. The remaining two hundred liters we put in a, a barrel. So that would have finished somewhere around one ten gravity, and then we pitched our mixer and culture in. And this was into a wine, uh, a red wine barrel or Pinot Noir barrel from the vineyard. I think I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure it was. And then we put pitched our culture into it, and then it was basically left for almost two years. Right, nice. At the end, we also um, at a similar time took one of our cool beer lagers, Cab Hillsman, and put that in a barrel. We had we at the time we moved, we had two tanks installed at the new site, and we actually brewed the wort the wort at the farm and took it in Ireland. So took with two two thousand liter tanks, so we brewed four times to fill up with lager because we were so short on beer. So that we had some lager in tanks for when we moved the brew kit over, which we did sort of gradually. But we had any leftover we had of those lager, that lager we put into another wine barrel and pitched a culture in, and that became our mother culture for the barrel farm. Nice. Um, but that was that was taken from the box. So that culture was harvested from the box had been put in a bit earlier to, to grow it. I can testify that it is an absolutely outstanding beer. <laughs> I mean, it's I've drunk a lot of it very fast, considering. Um, you know, which might just say something about the flavour of it. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really. Um, I know a lot of people often say about like lagers, particularly, oh, it's really chewy. But um, there's a, there is a like a really kind of thick chewiness about it. Not like overly like cloying. It's not cloying at all. But it's um, yeah. It's like it's like dr- drinking liquid bread that has been. Soured. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe. <laughs> and then the, the 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 interesting thing is that the final gravity on it will be getting down towards zero. Yeah. So it, I mean, it has held up. I that bit has held up a bit more body than than some of our lighter styles of mixed firm. But it, it is dry, and that is all coming through from the mm. complexity of the the yeast and the the time in in oak and being in wine barrels as well that have, that have come from the vineyard is there's still quite a lot of oak flavor in them not enough for them to continue using them for wine which is why we get given them but you know for a longer age age beers you do you do pick a bit more of that that out yeah that's great are there any trade-offs when it comes to having a mixed firm program when it comes to like your production and sales etc because it from when I talk to other breweries there are a lot of brewers out there that dabble with the idea but then they get put off by the accountant who's like, oh, no, you can't you can't do that. You won't make any money on it. Like, where are the trade-offs? Um, it's never going to make money, um, even with we're, – we're very lucky that being on, on the, the farm, it's we don't own the farm. Well, my dad doesn't own the farm, but it's a right. tenanted farm, and we have um, 
fairly we've got a very old style tenancy my grandfather had the, the farm before right so it's not you know we don't pay pay a lot of rent however we are getting whacked with business rates now mm-hmm. on it having two Bus- sites and business rates on the farm uh, so brewing is an industrial process so we right. have to get changed okay. of use on the right. brewing needs. we're classified b1 right like industrial mix mix use um and we were exempt but with the bigger site they now take your total area square area and um it actually the business rates are very when we negotiated originally were very reasonable for what we use it and then this year the great clawback of money they yeah. have gone up something Ouch. like 60 percent on the farm Ouch. so it's a bit of a yeah it's at the moment with the volumes we're doing we haven't done with, with the expansion of the the main brewery we've not had a lot of time and, and we've actually parked the barrel farm for the best part of nine months or so and even now we've got 20 barrels full i think something like that mm. maybe just slightly less so and not loads and and it's it's not an easy beer to sell yeah we sell most of ours through the tap room we have a group of people who come and we do we do do bits to bottle shops etc but it's it's more something that is an interesting project that keeps my staff interested. Um, they all they all love going down to the farm and getting involved in it. Um, it. I think it gives us something a little different offering in the tap room, which is quite nice as well. Even though it's only normally three or four bottles, mm. um, but yeah, it's not. It is. It isn't a money maker at all, but. It, I, I enjoy it because I get to go back to the farm. It's where I lived till I was 21. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, it's like it's I can taste your childhood in a beer. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lovely place. To, like even today, it's quieter. It's nice, peaceful and quiet. Although there's a big, big wine tour going on, so slightly less quiet than in the morning. Mm. With, with, you know, nice views, etc. And it's it's an enjoyable thing to do. And I, I find it interesting. I find the main brew super interesting as well and what we do there. But it's so very different. That yeah. it's, it's a, sometimes it's a nice break. That, but the, the the biggest thing I'm finding at the moment is I'm struggling, or I say struggling, we have struggled to devote enough time to it. Mm. And very easy to go. It's slow beer. We can just chuck it in a barrel and leave it. And we've definitely been guilty of that over the last year. Um, we've done we've done little bits and we've filled stuff. But I'm now my plan now is with the the, the, the brew expansion project being complete or almost complete we've got some more more fees to get in is to devote a little bit more time to the farm and actually get a, you know get a bit of enjoyment out of it and and see if we can get it to to turn a bit of a, a profit or certainly to pay for it itself yeah i always find barrel aged beers and particularly breweries that focus on that predominantly really interesting because i think as a brewer or someone that's really into beer i hate the word connoisseur but anyone listening to this who's not a brewer or beer professional or beer nerd will understand the word beer connoisseur. Barrel-aged beers are very much kind of targeted, I find, at a very small subset of people that understand beer. And I always find it sad that more people out there in the general public, and this will lead on to another question I've got, it's a flavour palette they'll never experience, you know, in the way that like with wine that they probably at some point will experience because like it's more readily accepted with wine that the whole idea of like being a wine connoisseur or trying these expensive wines and 
barrels and so on. People don't really associate that with beer. You know, if you're not a beer nerd, that is. You know, the, the flavours are always really incredible in them. I just, I, I mean, I'd, 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 I'd love to barrel age beers myself, to be honest with you. Not that I, I can here, you know, with my small setup, but there's just something, as, as you've talked about the farm and something that connects back to the land, you know, there's, there's something really magic about it, I think. Yeah, I think that the the thing I find, yeah, as you said, ma- the magic or the the thing that's really um, really different, I suppose, to to traditional clean brewing, and it's that not knowing what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we brew quite a few, or we we're, we're starting to become quite well known for our lagers, and we've got two core lagers that we just brew a lot of, and um, particularly our four percent hells we just brew that pretty much every week and my team are pretty good at brewing it and they they even on you know switching to the new kit didn't you know because we get the practice because we're brewing it we know what to expect we've we've worked with the yeast for six or five years with the lager yeast we know mm. how to handle it how to treat it there's, there's a definite we're, we're we're aiming for very small um margins very small parameters where we're and we're aiming and hitting them so there's definitely skill and, and interest and and the guys love it and when you're absolutely now you're, you're mashed and you're hitting all your numbers it, it's brilliant but the, you're, the aim is to make a beer that tastes exactly the same yep. as, as the, the one the week before or the week before that and, and and there is a skill in that and there is also something quite really nice and, and really satisfying about it but with the barrel farm there's a little bit of right we're, we're, let's make a, a base beer whatever we're going to do with it and we you can try and control control things and we can look at how much yeast we're pitching and we we know what our, what our culture does a bit we've not got loads of of uh, experience with it we can con- try and con- control acidity with um with our water profile how much hops we're putting into it to control um the certain strains of bacteria but ultimately we just don't know what we're going to get out of it um we, we're using second fill wine barrels so and we've, we have experimented with how much we clean them and, and boring the, the wine. We've got a very nice um, barrel cleaning system mm. and, and bits like that and, and not cleaning them. And, and I think that's the magic about it is you can, it's that unknown of we're not going to know for a month, two months, three months. And, th- and even then we've had some we've tasted after three months and then particularly over the last year where we've, we've left some stuff longer than maybe we would have. And we've now discovered that some of it's not quite as good as it was and other stuff is, is just, blowing our minds i wonder whether it 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 is for the brewer what home brewing was when like it's like it's like let me backtrack a sec i wonder whether it's like what home brewing was when you first started brewing but for a pro brewer so like home brewing in some ways finds its fulfillment in becoming a pro brewer but then obviously when you're a pro brewer and it's like, you're not just like smashing out new beer styles every week, you know, you, you're having to repeat the same thing. And often it's like you said, the lagers and the sessionable beers that you just think, oh man, why am I brewing this again? You know, it has like one hop in it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, just, it's just, you know, um, and it's like, the, the 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 fun stuff has to become more intense. So, so maybe some people go down the raspberry donuts imperial chocolate stout route, and some people are just kind of like we'll go down the barrel aging route, and it's that's like 
a pro brewer's homebrew, so to speak. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. I think it's, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head to why certainly one of the reasons I enjoy it is it's is that yeah it's exactly right. When I, when you start homebrewing, you don't really know, and you read all this stuff, and you've not got the experience to fall back on so you're right i'm just gonna throw this in or, or do this or change this temperature and say, i don't know what's going to happen well I'll, I'll get this yeast and i'll, I'll put it in and, and see what it tastes like and, and it there is definitely some of that in in the mm. barrel project because i like even though i like the most i can produce absolute max is 114 layers and i've got two DPVs and it's all all exists in my cellar in this alternative universe down there because I sell it and because I come from having gone full circle from being a home brewer to becoming a pro brewer and then back again to like a commercial home brewer I'm always like really sweating over what I'm doing and so like recently when I got the second unitank I was like you know I'm I'm, I'm really busy with the podcast and with my business, like, but I still want to keep brewing. I need to maximize brew day. So I thought, well, you know, why not I do high, high gravity brews? And at the end of the boil, I'll, I'll split the batch into two kettles and then I'll treat them differently, liquor back, shove them in different fermenters, treat them with different yeast, dry up them or whatever differently and make two beers at once. And the amount of stress that went into that, like that should have been like for a homebrew, that'd be like really fun and experimental and you wouldn't care what came out at the end. And it's like, I'm only produce like if I, when I take cases out after losses, I'm getting about like 11 cases at best. It's really nothing in comparison to what most <laughs> commercial brewers are making. And yet I have this like level of stress with it. And I guess when we're talking about the barrel aging stuff and having that fun, I, I did one, uh, which, if you listen to the podcast or anyone listen to the podcast for a while, I've talked about it a few times, but I did a, um, it was meant to be like a heritage ESB and it went really wrong because of the mash temperatures. You was, yeah. Chevalier. Was yeah. Yeah. That was that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and ended up being 3.2%. So I just threw a load of like Brettanomyces, Peter Cockers and Una as well. So it left it for a year and then got a really fun beer out of it. And it's not like the, you know, it was an, an Oud Brun is what I called it in the end. And it's it, it's not like, you know, drinking Duchess or anything like that. Like it's going to like suck your face off with sourness. But it kind of is in that direction. You know, it's like a softer, it's like if that's an 18, mine's a PG, you know. But it, it, I really enjoyed that process. And that evoked some of that spark in me of creativity and not really caring too much. And as the industry is getting more mature, I wonder if, and obviously there's a whole like lot of numbers attached to everything. You've got to make a living from it. But I think we've lost some of that in trying to run business. Actually, that creativity does suffer a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I was having a conversation with, with guys at work not that long ago where we were talking about how the expectations on breweries now compared to when we started are so much higher than mm. The standard of brewing in this country is is exponentially better than it was back in 2017 Absolutely. when we started, and across the board. And I think, but with that, there is definitely a loss to people just going, "I'm just going to brew this or do this, chuck in, chuck something into the kettle and see what happens," or 
all prepared to experiment. There's, there's, there are a lot less people doing that. And I mm. think for better or worse, that maybe there's, there's a few less drain pours, but also from those experiments, some of the amazing beers we've had. And, and I mean, one of the beers that really tipped me over the edge to, to start in the brew was the, the Dipper series from Cloudwater yeah. and what they do with that. And, and, that, and, and look what that spawned with double IPAs in the in the country and over the preceding years, maybe getting knocked on the head with the new GT changes. But um, so yeah, we, I think we as an industry and as as we've grown, there is definitely a, a lot less people who are willing to take a gamble. And I find that quite sad because I feel that spawned a lot of New England IPAs. And cit- yeah. particularly Citra, Mosaic and Simcoe, New England IPAs. We're all guilty of it. I'm as guilty of it as anyone. I, I, I did a, a, a tweet not too long back moaning about it. And then another beer writer commented saying, every beer you've ever given me has been a hazy IPA. And I was like, I'm as guilty as anyone, you know, because it's like, yeah. you know, as, as Paul Weller says from the jam, like the, the, the public gets what the public wants, you know. And... But actually, the beers that really excite me the most are like <laughs> a golden bitter or, you know, the, the, the one I'm drinking at the moment, um, like a bock. And it, I often use music as an analogy with beer because I think the two of them are quite similar. And I'm a musician as well, so it, it feels quite natural to me. But and one, one of the analogies I often use is with the Beach Boys, where you've got someone like Brian Wilson, who's really creative and a songwriter who didn't just want to write like the surfing hits all the time. So he went away and like wrote pet sounds and then like really something off the wall, like smile. And Mike Love, who was the main vocalist from the Beach Boys, just was just like, what the hell is this? Like, just give the, you know, just, just do the, stick to the formula, Brian, you know, and it, and the record label didn't get it. And like with pet sounds, when they released that album, it, it did so bad in America in 1965 that Capitol Records then put out a compilation like Best of Beach Boys, which outsold Pet Sounds. Now, we all know in the full length of history that Pet Sounds is considered one of the greatest pop and rock albums of all time. And I think that's because it's a genuine expression of someone's creativity. And... I think it's very bold to throw caution to the wind like that. But I think some of the best beers are made in that fashion where someone's been like, you know what, like this particular, like West Coast IPAs aren't the big seller at the moment because it's all about the hazy styles, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then before you know it, get a beer like Oregon Trail. And everyone's like, oh, West Coast IPAs. I love a West Coast IPA. West is best. You know, it's going to go, it'll go full circle. We're, yeah. we're joking about this as well saying, you know, the fashionable beer scene is going to be back on the, on the hazy boys. <laughs> yeah. they'll, be, <laughs> they'll, they'll be back being the, you know, being the, the lesser talked about ones. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're the same. We, I mean, my tastes have changed and I definitely enjoy drinking some more traditional styles now. And I, I really like brewing and drinking lagers and, and always have done. Um, West coast styles, obviously going back to when I started home brewing, that was all about, putting as much IBUs into beers as I could. <laughs> but we still, yeah, we still make New England beers. They sell really well. We put a lot of effort into them, as much effort as any other beer we make, but possibly even more because it's not 
always to you know to our taste or, or etc but we they sell really well they sell really well in the tap room they sell well to the trade they sell well to the public so we, we'll keep we'll keep doing them yeah we do try to vary the hops a little bit <laughs> not just not just mosaic citrus, citrus mosaic. <laughs> yeah a bit of idaho seven Sabro. <laughs> yeah, we don't tend to use Sabro. Too. I've not brewed with, actually, not, never brewed with Sabro. Not a massive fan of it. But Idaho 7, we've picked up quite a bit of lately. And, and we do like that hop and Azaka as well. Oh, yeah, Azaka. I used to mm. use Azaka loads at Sheffield Brewery. Yeah, we, we got onto it in the early days. We really struggled to source hops. Mm. Um, and we were recommended Comet and Azaka in lieu of citra or to blend in with citra to sort of make citra go further and yeah. we've sort of stuck with both of them that, I, I bet that was things. Charles Farron right yeah Charles Farron and particularly Azaka we've we've got some really good quality stuff um, we use it a lot with Amarillo use it a bit in West Coast we've used it in all, all sorts of things and um, yeah quite a big fan of, of Azaka yeah well it was say, it was Charles Farron that put me onto those two hops and uh, for the same reason, can get all the citra at the time. Yeah, you know, they, they served us really, really well. I used to um, really like, I know this is really controversial, very Marmite hot, but Sriracha Ace. Yeah. Yeah, I like Sriracha Ace. I used to do Weird Beard, used to do a beer, I'm trying to think what it's called. Sriracha Facebook, probably. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, there's a bit of a love it or hate it hop. Yeah, Buxton did one called Ace Edge, which was like a take on Axe Edge, which is like their flagship IPA it was lovely I absolutely loved it I love that kind of coconut flavour it gives but I know some people absolutely detest that hop <laughs> yeah totally oh please everybody yeah yeah um, I have got one pressing question before we round up with you being based in Norfolk which is sandwiched between Norwich and Ipswich which for any of our international listeners is in the southeast of England what are some of the key differences between selling beer locally, because you talked about some of those cast pubs, versus building like a national footprint? Yeah, it's, it's definitely when we started, and we'd, we had, you know, we'd spoken to, to lots of pubs, but when we started, we, had, we actually really struggled to sell beer locally. And even the pubs that we've been talking to as we're setting the brewery up and, and giving samples to who were, you know, sold a lot of the more craft, more modern side of beer, I suppose, cask and, and keg, we struggled to, to break into those pubs. And part of that was wholesalers mm-hmm. had their teeth into the pubs a little bit and these pubs were having to take minimum orders. So they were always having to, having to fill their cellars up to get the latest beers. Um, so that was in the sort of minority, the more sort of modern pubs. And, and then the older pubs didn't really want to give us give us a go and 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 chuck into the middle as well we're heavily tied around us we're right in the middle of adnams green king and etc so <laughs> look at you not, yeah and this, it's definitely got better but so, so to begin with we we sold a lot more of our beer elsewhere around the country and, and we were you know we we're part-time we we're, we're talking small volumes as i said earlier we, we small packed a lot so we sent a lot of bottles around the country and it was something we then targeted quite hard and and particularly once we got cask is try to um, move more into local. And when we started doing cask, it was it was more modern styles and unfined, you know, hazy beers. Mm-hmm. And it took a, it was a lot of effort and we had, it was a lot of groundwork. Um, it is a quite a traditional part of the, the world for beers. Um, 
so yeah, we, we had to put quite a lot of work in and we were we were battling locally with national brands or, or bigger breweries yep um, and that still is the case a little bit and there is it's definitely getting better in East Anglia. We've been helped by, I mean, Burnt Mill started the same year we did and duration over the last couple of years have certainly helped things. But a lot of pubs in our area are just more than happy to buy in other beer and don't don't seem to have the same focus on getting in nice local stuff. Mm. Um, and that is is a shame, really. So, but But we've definitely broken the back of it a little bit and and i would say the majority of our beer does now go locally we picked cambridge up as well and we've put a lot of effort in the last year craig's done a lot of work in our beer back into cambridge which is a, a little bit more um forward thinking and and there, and there are great pubs in norwich and there are forward thinking pubs but sometimes it does feel a bit of a you're, you're battling against the days and the and the verdants and mm. and your proud water tracks which is you know and they're great great breweries and they make great beers um, but it does sometimes feel like a battle. And then ironically, we send a load of our beer over to Bristol, Birmingham, up to Leeds yeah. <laughs> places. Still take a lot a lot of our beer. We've got permanent lager lines in, in Birmingham. Right, um, wow. So it, it does make your mind boggle a little bit that we seem to get, and particularly our cask beer, some of our cask beer is, is too, it, it can be a bit of a struggle locally, and yet Leeds they'll take pallet after pallet off if we let them, if we let them have it. I find that really, really fascinating because quite often for breweries, it's the other way around. So they'll start with a, a strong cask market producing beers for those, you know, country pubs or village pubs or whatever. And then when they try and expand further afield, they just struggle to make any inroads. And again, this is what it was like for us at Sheffield Brewery, particularly with the name Sheffield, like in Sheffield, obviously it holds up because it's that local tie. But if you're going to Leeds, no one cares that you're from Sheffield. In, in some ways, it works against you because, like, you know, why should I care? I live in Leeds. And so, you know, like, I remember endless trips up the M1 trying to push into Leeds with it. But I find it interesting that further afield, in places like, like you just said, Birmingham, Bristol, and Leeds, etc., that you found it much easier than pushing in locally. Yeah, I, 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 I don't really know why it is. It's, it's a difficult one to explain. I'd say we, I'm going to caveat, caveat it by saying we do do a lot, of the majority of our beer is now, you know, over 50% is local. Mm-hmm. Definitely at least, if not more, well, quite a bit. I, I don't know the exact numbers, not not at the moment, but we've worked really hard on it. And, and some of that was when lockdown happened and we, yep. at the time we were selling beers, um, Blackjack sold a lot of our beers or Glass, the Glass Works. Yep. That's right. Yeah, you know, we had a couple of pallets going up, booked in to go up to there. They just got cancelled. We had uh, beer going to pigs' ears, got cancelled, and, yep. and we we did think after that that a big aim was to try and spread our sales out a bit further. We, we were doing local stuff at the time as well, but just to push really much harder on it. So we have we've worked super hard on it. One thing that's definitely played into our hands is the amount of or our lagers, and it's a it's a good way. Weirdly, it's a good way in, and we've worked really hard on our on our lagers, and mm. I think we're we're becoming quite well known for them. And and weirdly, again, probably started further afield, but now we're people are, are taking them in um, in more local pubs, and sometimes pubs that are tied on quite a lot of lot of things are actually taking them in as a as a guest beer almost, but as a lager, and yep. and that is leading on to further sales. 
Um, nice. But yeah, it's, it is a bit of, a, I, I, it's always confused us a little bit since we started that it has been as much of a, a struggle as it is. But with the pub and the tap room, we've now building ourselves quite a, you know, a, a local following and, and base in the, in the local area. That's, that's definitely helping and getting ourselves a bit more, a bit more noticed. And I, I also think, um, I also think there's people who still locally don't really know a lot about us. They just, just you know, they don't know what we do, how we do it, the effort we put into making our beer, the, the investment we've put in equipment and facilities. So it's just a gradual thing. But yeah. then when they come to the tap room, you know, we've we designed the tap room to be more than an American style. So mm-hmm. the tap room is open on a Friday afternoon. We will, we will still be working. It will be Friday. That's a bit packaging day. So there'll be things going on. People can, can see what we do at the brewery, maybe understand a little more that we're not some buckets in the shed. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's been amazing to have you on the show, Andy, and I, I've proper enjoyed chatting to you. What's next for the brewery? What's next for Ampersand? Um, I think we're going to slow down a little bit. It sounds a bit weird to say, but we're, <laughs> getting the new kit in and we're already on on um on for hitting our targets for this year quite comfortably we've got the sort of final stage of the install is um maximizing our floor space and putting in another three tanks and part of that is just to help ease the pressure off on empty refill on on fvs particularly the lager fvs mm. there's a bit more flexibility in, in schedule, pre-schedules etc um, and a little bit more capacity, but we're, we're currently looking at hitting 2,200 hectoliters this year, up from 1,700 last year. Yep. So that's, and that's a small, smaller growth than we've had previous years. But I think next year, you know, another 10, 15% growth, growth in volume just gets us to a nice, a nice level. And then, um, yeah, I think we, we want to dial in the new equip, equipment, probably find a little bit more time for the, the brewers to experiment a bit mm. more. We've got a nice pilot kit that we do use a bit, but at the moment it, it can sometimes feel like we're, we're using it to try and um, fill keg lines up on the tap room because we're running out of beers. Right. We want to give them a real chance to actually start some of their own projects on it and, and, and then put a bit more effort into the, into the barrel farm as well. Happy days. How can people get hold of your beers and find out more? Um, well, go to your nearest bottle shop and ask. I think at the moment bottle shops are in some serious need of of help, and there with the um, new duty regulations that came in yesterday, I think they're going to be hit quite hard. Mm-hmm. Um, without your your local bo- local bottle shops, um, I don't think without your support, so I, I don't think they're going to they're going to survive and there's a lot already closing. So yeah, please support your local bottle shop. And if they don't stock us, ask them to get in touch because we send beer out um, all over the country. Um, you can buy it from ourselves as well on the website, if you so wish. Um, or go to your pub and ask them to get it. Awesome. Andy, thank you very much. No, well, thank, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been a pleasure to come on and um, yeah. Enjoy listening to your podcast on my dog walks. Oh, every week. Thank, thank you. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot Four podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. 
Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>